DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are joined now by Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. He's on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought currently, and that's why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Steve, good morning. Good morning. Game one, NBA Finals. Who you got? Uh, the Suns at home, you know, with all the unknowns with Giannis and what's going on, I I, I, I think it'd be silly to, to bet against the Suns at home uh, who, or, or who are healthy. And, you know, this has been a postseason that seems to be defined by injuries. And uh, both these teams have – they've had their own set of injuries, obviously, and uh, but they've also benefited from, you know, the Suns playing the Lakers without LeBron and AD and Jamal Murray for Denver and – Quiet Clippers, and you look at Giannis, and he's been out himself. But you look at the Bucks, and uh, you know whether it was Trey Young and the Hawks, or uh, you know situations that uh, I don't know that Miami was hurt or missing people, but it just seems like both teams have been able to survive and get through this thing with injuries. I mean, the Nets didn't have Kyrie or Late, and uh, didn't have James Harden either, so. It's just been a year defined by injuries, but I think right now the Suns are probably the most prepared and healthiest to win this thing. Uh, I'm sure that's probably what the experts feel too, but uh, I'm looking forward to this series. I'm really, really hoping that Giannis is healthy enough to play because I think this is going to be a great matchups. We're going to really see coaching staff really work to try to take away what each likes to do. I'm actually kind of excited about the series, and uh, I don't really have any – you know, any skin in any one of these teams in game, but uh, I, I think it looks for a great matchup and two very, very different teams. I was wondering if you saw little parallels between what you did at BYU and rebuilding that program and what the Suns have done. Yeah, you know what? I, I Most of my life, uh, from high school to junior college to at the Division One level, everything's kind of been a rebuild. And the one thing that really impresses me about Monty Williams like a lot of the NBA coaches, there there is a great culture there. There's great energy. You got young players. None of them have really done this before. Never been in a finals, and it, it all and it always takes some leadership. You know, I mean, for, for every team I've had, there's been that guy. When I was at BYU, when we built that thing, really, you know, McKelly was Wesley was a young man that was kind of the heart and soul of that team, and and, and Chris Paul is the heart and soul of the, of the Suns team, and. Uh, and re- and really both. I mean, I, I think back in the early '70s, the Bucks won a title, uh, and you know the Suns have never won one. So yeah, they, these these are two major rebuilds. Budenholzer has done a, has done a really good job, and they put in some new pieces. So I, I really like the matchups. I mean, I was sitting there the other day just thinking, you know, who's going to guard who and what's going to happen, and uh, and I, I'm thinking, I'm wondering, you think PJ Tucker guards Booker? I mean, I'm thinking that'd be a good matchup for the Bucks and and uh, and you know how they're going to holiday guards Chris Paul. You know, some strong guys that they really haven't seen uh, that kind of girth and size. So I think defensively for the Bucks to win this thing, especially if Giannis is hurt, they're going to have to really defend, and it's never an easy thing to do with all the pick and rolls and between Chris Paul and and Devin Booker. I mean, they run all of that, and I and I think. The Bucks kind of defensively play have played a little bit differently with teams they played. I just you know you can't sag on these guys, both Booker and uh, 
and Chris Paul are such great mid-range shooters that that's where the advantage, I, I think, comes with, with the Suns and, and the fact that they seem to be pretty healthy. So watching uh, Monty Williams' uh, press conference this weekend, um, it, I wasn't really struck by it because I'd already seen him do this, but it just kind of reinforced, you know, he's just uh, kind of thoughtful, calm, measured. And, and Steve, you're a little older than PK and I, but you're not that much older than us. And I think all of us grew up with coaches. And maybe it was something about, you know, the Depression and World War II. And if our coaches didn't go through them, they were raised by people who did and mentored by people who did. But that old school yelling coach with the whistle, like, you just can't get further away from that than where pro sports coaching, especially the NBA, has gone now. What is that just because everything has changed? Were, were those coaches a product of those times? Would something different have worked better then? I mean, it just it's just night and day. You know, it is, that's a great thought. Um, because I, you know, I kind of grew up with a, a few coaches that were kind of yellers and screamers. And yet I had a, I had a college coach, Tim Tift, who no one in, the, you know, in Utah, I'll say Utah's going to know who he is, but but uh, he he was he was my coach there, and he he was he was like a Monty Williams, you know. I mean, he he was he was really technically had a high basketball IQ, was a great offensive coach, and uh, but always treated us with respect. I mean, he held us accountable, but he did it in a way that wasn't demeaning. And 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 certainly in the NBA today, it is a players' league. But I that can be the connotation there can be well, yeah, the players run the league and they do what they want to do. Well, I mean, maybe in some situations, but at the end of the day, if, if you're a guy that can't communicate with young people and, and you can't share your vision in a positive way, you don't last long in the NBA. You just don't. I mean, and, and obviously people stay in the league winning, but when you look at changes and coaching changes, and there's lots of them, uh, how, how do guys that lose jobs get jobs back so quickly? Well, all of them kind of today, for the majority of the coaches, have that kind of, uh, mindset and uh, and, and that's kind of how they think today. And I I think it's a it's a culmination of a lot of things. I think the fact that the league has changed, that they understand that uh, in order to be successful, and I think in anything long term, I don't think berating and being demeaning and being spiteful and treating people that way ever long term works. It doesn't work in personal relationships. It doesn't work in marriages. It doesn't work in business. And yes, we could probably find people that, you know, didn't treat people nicely that were successful. But were they really successful? <laughs> you know, in the end of the day, if everyone despises you and is afraid of you, that no, I don't care what your record is, that's not success at any level. And so, yeah, I I love that thought because uh, Monty Williams is is a guy that you just you just want to play for him. You know, and there's a lot of coaches like that in the NBA that they're respectful. And that doesn't mean they can't be intense and get upset and get after you, but there is a there is a respect player coach that uh, sometimes at the high school I really see I used to really see it at the high school level, oh my goodness, uh, where guys would just berate people and uh, I've I've had good examples. I, tell you, I I remember though I do remember my first year at Clovis West High School. I just graduated. I'd taken a job there teaching and coaching. I was we only had ninth and tenth graders. It's a brand new school, and so anybody that could play was with on the varsity, and I had the JV team. And I never forget uh, a young man really kind of just defied me and said, "No, I'm not going to do that," and just started going off, and, and I just kind of lost my mind. 
And immediately I started, I kind of started running at the kid. <laughs> and I mean, I'm probably 23 years old. And, I, and he had said something, he had cursed at me and said something, and I just took after him. And he started running. And you can visualize this, me chasing this young man <laughs> around the gym until I cornered him. And I had both hands above his head. You know how you had lean on a wall? And, and, uh, and I, I can't even remember what I did. But it, just for a moment, I thought, oh. You know, I, I realized what I had done. And I had lost my mind here as a 23-year-old new JV coach in high school. And, and, and I got through it, and fortunately, in, in today's world, I probably got fired the next day and got called in the principal's office. But never, nobody ever knew about it. But that was, you know, there are times when you feel like doing things you shouldn't. But I, I think I, I just had good mentors and people around me that helped me to, to be smart about those things and to treat people the right way. And uh, so I love the fact that you brought that up about Monty because he does seem to have a great relationship and a rapport with his guys. Okay, but there's sometimes that maybe you need to go off. And I'm thinking San Diego State, Arujo doesn't block out, I think, a guy named Joe Mann. You take him out in about two minutes into the game, and one of your assistants who went on to a fairly good uh, success as a head coach uh, really lit into him. And I think that young man got the message. Yes, he did. No, and listen, we, you, there are lots of those moments. There's no question. And uh, I've had those moments with assistant coaches, <laughs> you know, where, uh, you know, sit down, be quiet, and probably a little bit different verbiage, but whatever. No, I mean, you have those. And, and you have to have a combination of that. And uh, I, I think you do have to. There are times you do have to get after guys, but you do it in a positive way. You come back to them. They know you know, you can discipline people and you can get after guys if they know that they trust you. And I think that the situation is that you can't just all of a sudden become somebody that you're not and then all of a sudden you're saying inappropriate things and you're losing your mind when, you know, they've never seen you like that. When, and that's why relationship building is so important in teams. Because absolutely, I mean, I, there's hundreds of times where – uh, in practice or in games, or I kind of lost my mind, but it was always a situation that I was reinforced by, you know, the love you have for the kid, you love his passion, you got to do this. We can't win with that. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, those things do happen. I'm not suggesting that we never discipline or that we never get after guys because you have to. But you got, they got to know, you got to have a relationship with people to do that. You know what I mean? You just can't all of a sudden be somebody you've never been then you lose all respect and all trust with whoever you're coaching. Steve, you coached for a long time. J.C. Ball, BYU, Fresno State. The name, image, and likeness thing has been coming for a while. And now the first few days in, there's deals cut almost immediately. Where is this going? Can you give us one or two unintended consequences of this? Because we're sure there's going to be a lot of them. Well, look, I, I think the first thing is how you legislate it and how you administer it. And uh, there's so many things that they still don't even know that are going to happen. I mean, we just, you know, and I'm not an expert on this. I've read what you've read and uh, trying to get an understanding. And I'll be honest with you, I, I don't think it's going to impact that many athletes, to be honest with you, when it's all said and done. Uh, I, I'm sure the really elite athletes, there, there, there are going to be some you know, there's a benefit to them in some situations. But if if young people are thinking that people now are just going to line up and want to give them money at a time when uh, we've gone through so many things 
uh, in life here with COVID and businesses going out of business and this and that, that I, I think it would be foolish to think that, that there are going to be a lot of student athletes that actually really benefit from this. I, I suspect there will be. You're, you're opening a Pandora's box here where we don't know what the consequences are. And certainly I, I get how the legal system came to the point where they are. Uh, but I, I'm just not sure. I'm guarded watching this to see how it's going to play out. And there's so many unknowns. And, and maybe because of my conservative nature and never really – I mean, you know what? They're, they're, it's true. I mean, these young men – I remember – I mean, it's different today even than when I was coaching. I mean, you couldn't buy a kid a meal. You, you couldn't get a milkshake for him. You couldn't, they, you couldn't send them home when they had, their parents were sick or ill. I mean, there were so many restrictions that everything was a violation. Everybody said, well, oh, yeah, we, we, they run a clean. nobody was running a clean program because there was unintended things that happened in every program that led to sometimes more serious you know, ramifications. But at the end of the day, you, you look back in the 60s and 70s and 80s, 90s, the student athlete was wasn't given a whole lot, you know. I mean, yes, there was opportunities, and you could say, "Oh, they got an education," you know, and all of those things. But there were a lot of things we couldn't do that made it really difficult. And now, all of a sudden, we've gone full circle, where the perception is that they can be paid, they're going to make money, they can get have you know contracts with uh, businesses and things and anything that whether it's jersey the likeness of their jersey or their face or whatever it might be man and i I know this is something they've been thinking about and a lot of smart people have kind of gone forward with this thing but i have no idea how this is going to play out other than my gut feeling tells me that it really is not going to impact that many people now i you know a year from now we have this conversation and you see you are dead wrong but for me, from the outside looking in, I just don't see how many young people are really going to benefit from it. I wonder at a place like BYU if they could benefit it more than other schools because of the religious connection. Uh, you look at these guys when they go on into the pro ranks. Like you can't drive around. You may have noticed it because I know you spent some recent time here with your son along the Wasatch Front. You see pictures of Taysom Hill and Daniel Sorensen of the Chiefs and of the Saints. I don't even know what they're advertising, but I see their faces on the billboards, and there is that connection because of the religious connection. And certainly we understand a kid like Jimmer. If this would have been around in Jimmer's day, yeah. my goodness, I mean, he would own <laughs> half the town. Uh, so exactly. that's that's a high-level exception. But I wonder, because of that the LDS connection, if that could pay off a little bit more because of there would be a closer association with that kid. I, I think there's, that there could be, because there is a connection, not just as a student-athlete, but at the, they share the same faith. And, and it's a very connected group of people worldwide. And so, yeah, I, I think that possibly could connect. And uh, they have passionate fans, as all schools have really passionate fans. But most schools, I mean, you know, if you're at Notre Dame, I'm not sure that every young man that is a student that goes to Notre Dame is a Catholic, but there is a connection there as well, you know, where... But that, that's a different situation, whereas in Utah, the, the, a lot of the membership of the church lives in, in the West, and, and specifically a lot of members in the state of Utah where BYU is. And so, yeah, I, I could see that, where there's such passionate fans that they may look for ways to 
yeah, you know what? Uh, I, I think we support this young man, and we'd like to have him represent our country, our company. So I could see that happening more there than than I would at Fresno State, where I live and watch. Right. And uh, and there's some high level Aaron Judge playing for the Yankees, who was was a baseball player there. You had Paul George playing basketball, Derek Carr playing football. Those were all high end, you know, uh, professional athletes. But I, I don't see that community at any time really being in a position to do the things that they're asking to do because it's it just they didn't get that kind of support. So most of their notoriety money was made at the next level. And uh, But you never know. I mean, I, I know there's two twin basketball players from Fresno State who have like a gazillion followers on Twitter and this and that, and they're trying to, to make money out of this thing. So I, I guess it can happen in every community, but there's a big difference, for instance, in the two communities that I live in terms of the relationship between fans and players. And uh, and certainly I could see that at BYU uh, because of the church. Not because the church has anything to do with it, but because there's such a connection. I think it just comes down to that most state universities, most public schools are naturally geographically based. And you look at Army, Navy, Air Force, Notre Dame, and BYU – those five have far-flung fan bases that are digitally connected. They ju- they have to be. Yes. And be- once you have the digitally connected fan base, you've got digital businesses appealing to them, and those businesses may want players from those schools in a way that fill-in-the-blank state university. Yeah, I know Ohio State's got a national rep, but did- most of those state universities just don't. Yeah. No, I, I-, I really like that thought. I am really actually given that thought where they could benefit, but from that digital businesses, you're right. And, and, you know, and, and, and young people, they're prepared for that. I mean, they, they live in a digital world. They, they know the digital world. And uh, so you have two groups that can connect because of that. And, uh, you know, that, that's, that's a great thought, David. I mean, I, I think that, uh, that that is an area that would, would bring people together and, you know, no generation has been more digitally in tune than the one we live with today. One of the things that makes me a little bit concerned is that some of these guys who don't come from much all of a sudden may get some money, and then you get a bunch of hanger-oners that are just going to try to pilfer it and all of a sudden going to buddy up to these guys and because they, they already get it to an extent, but now it could be even more. And I, I'm concerned the kid is going to be young, obviously, and he's going to get this money potentially because you see it at the pro rank, but now it happens even earlier, and it may cause some problems. You see that? Well, I'll tell you what. I'm sure that presidents of schools and athletic directors, and I, and I know most schools are supportive, and, and I've listened to people who are supportive of it, but they better have things in place. <laughs> and, and as big as an organization as the NC2A has been with all the rules, and I'm not suggesting a hundred more rules because there there have been so many NC2A violations throughout the years at you know most universities at some time or another, and this really opens the door to uh, inappropriate things that could potentially happen. And so I think more than anything, the responsibility lies with the institution, and they better have things in place. They better have staff in an athletic organization. They better have staff. Uh, you know, with uh, the booster groups, and they better, you know, they certainly have got to monitor this in ways that they've never done before, and everything's so new, and I'm sure they're going to learn, and, and probably 
there are going to be some mistakes and there's going to be some inappropriate things happen because they already have been happening. And now we're opening the door to it and saying it's okay. How do we define that? Uh, how are we going to legislate it? Uh, how, how are we going to be judicious about this? And when somebody does something, what are, you know, how is the NC2A going to be involved in this and monitoring it? And, or maybe it's just the institutions that monitor it. Well, that, that opens a door that, you know, could really, really lead to some inappropriate things happening. So I can't imagine an institution, and it's happened so quickly, so they haven't had a lot of time, but uh, to, to, to keep things in order, they, they, they'd have to have now a group of people at the, each institution that are monitoring it and managing it. Besides the kids who need to be educated, and I'm sure right now when school starts, everybody's going to be completely educated, and maybe they've already started doing it now. But every student athlete has to be educated about what's appropriate, what isn't, because anybody that turns an eye, blind eye to that is, is going to lead themselves down a road where all of a sudden the institute is going to be way more involved in the, in the judicial part of this where schools are in trouble. And, and it wasn't maybe meant. It's just that had inappropriate monitoring. And listen, I, I have had a lot of experience uh, with the NC2A when I was at Fresno when uh, I met with the NC2A for things that had happened there. And uh, it, it, was, uh, it wasn't a pleasant experience. It, it, it wasn't about anything that I had done or been, but it was something that I was, had to manage and fix. And, and I know what that feels like to sit in a room with a bunch of attorneys and presidents and everybody else to talk about how we're going to monitor this. And now we have something everybody seems to be really excited about, and, and I don't have any issues with with kids being compensated for their likeness and if it's appropriate hey good for them i mean that good for them and good for the institution but uh, you better monitor it and, and, and it better be done in an appropriate way otherwise we're going down a road here that uh, could be pretty destructive to people to programs and to businesses Steve, we'll leave it there for now. I'm sure we will revisit this down the line. Yeah. Thanks for joining us for a few minutes, and yep. we will talk to you again next week. Thanks, guys. See you. Bye-bye. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, joining us right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Dan Feldman, NBA writer for NBC Sports Pro Basketball Talk. His take on the finals coming up in 30 minutes right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Bob Casper of Real Golf Radio. Is it allowed for a caddy to give his player like a shoulder ride or a piggyback ride to, from hole to hole? <laughs> they're not linebackers, man. They're not, not going to give their caddy. <laughs> Bob Casper's probably given thousands of interviews, and today he was asked if a caddy can give his golfer a piggyback ride. You try to give somebody a piggyback through Augusta. Are you kidding me? All the hills up and down? While carrying their bag? While carrying their bag. Are you their bag and them? Imagine if it's El Pato. (laughs) Oh, eat more beef slurry. Like, I can't go another step. Either can I, beefs. I'm crying over here. Either can I. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5. 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Brought to you in part by Syringa Networks. Working from home or with a hybrid workforce, get a powerful IT partner with Syringa Networks. Call them at 385-420-7881 or visit syringanetworks.net. Dan Feldman, NBA writer for NBC Sports Pro Basketball Talk, has joined us 
going to join us coming up at 9.05. We've been talking this morning about the question of the day. Who are you rooting for in the NBA Finals? The argument for the Bucks. well, there's the guys with the local ties. Sam Merrill played at Utah State. Elijah Bryant played at BYU. They're 25 and 26 years old now. NBA rookies, and they're pretty much playing garbage time here. If they get in, then there's either a lot of injuries and a lot of guys missing, or this is a 25-point game. So it's not that they're going to play a lot, but it's still a local tie, and some people are, uh, are all about that. And then there's also people who are rooting for or against Chris Paul. There are people who we have heard from who are pumped up that a guy in his mid to late 30s, depending on what you consider 36, I guess, but late in his NBA career, having his best postseason run ever with a club that no one saw this coming. They hadn't been in the playoffs in 11 years. 11 years. And if they got in, it was, hey, be the four seed, win a series. So the fact that they were the two seed and they won three series. 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 <laughs> is amazing. Now, there are people, and we're getting the gifts of Cliff, of Cliff, of Chris Paul. That's his cousin or yeah, something. Yeah, his brother for the his State brother? Farm ads. Yeah. Okay, and of him Glasses flopping. Glasses and a mustache. They look alike. Right. Of him flopping, and uh, we're hearing about the whining and complaining, and they don't like him. So you should, you should love this, though. He split the audience down the middle. Yeah, but see, if you root against Chris Paul, that means you don't want Monty Williams to win. Oh, you can't you can't divide and conquer there. You don't what want Jay about? Crowder to win. And we have we have gotten posts on on Twitter. Jay Crowder, there are people pulling for Jay. Got good memories of him with the Jazz. It seems impossible to root against Monty. There's just no way. I mean, come on! Look what he's been through. Look what he's done, and he's done it in such a dignified manner. I mean, I don't want to go crazy because I don't know the man, but from what I've heard, if we got more people in this world like Monty Williams, this world is going to be much better off. I mean, stuff that I've read about him and what he's done, it's just unbelievable. I mean, the, the type of human being that he is. Plus, if you're rooting against Chris Paul, you have to root against Steve Blake, who's one of their assistant coaches. And who doesn't remember Steve Blake? Most of our listeners. Come on, he played for Maryland. They won a national championship. Back in the day. And who was the other guy? There was a, another it guy was. who got yeah. a lot of run, but Steve Blake ended up playing longer in the league, didn't he? Who was the other guy? Let me get their roster for you. I can't, <laughs> I can't remember. You're right. It, it was a dynamic duo. Was yeah. it Grievous Vasquez? No. Although, ironically, there's a young lady named Vasquez who's now the sports editor of the Casa Grande Dispatch. Okay. And the reason why I bring that up, not more than two minutes ago, my sister just sent me a story via text. Vasquez named sports editor for her hometown newspaper, which is the Casa Grande Dispatch, and my sister said, made me think of you. <laughs> That's ironic that you bring up Vasquez. Maybe she's related to that Vasquez, but who's the other guy? Senior Juan Dixon was the That's ACC Player of the Year and the NCAA Final Four MVP. But Blake ended up playing much longer in the NBA, right? And now he's an assistant on the staff with Monty Williams, as is Darko Rakovich. The what, huh? <laughs> Mark Bryant. 
So I, I can't root against. Plus, I, I, I can't root against my sisters. You can't root against your family. Yeah, they want your wife's got the strong Arizona ties. Your sisters have been living there forever. Yeah, I found out over the weekend that my wife was a dual citizenship, Switzerland and the U.S. I never knew that. Oh, really? Yeah. She's carrying both passports. Because her father was a citizen. Yeah, I mean, he didn't. He was born and lived in Switzerland for many, many years. Didn't come over to the states until he was pushing thirty. So yeah. So, I mean, by connection, I mean, I got to root for all the Swiss Olympians. Clearly. <laughs> I'm going to be pulling for their basketball team. No, you're not. Yes, I am. That no, one, no, what was the one guy who played here for uh, a couple years? What was his name? I had to deal with the New York cop. You know, I played in the league. Cephalosha. Yeah, there you go. And I talked to him about Switzerland. He said, have you been there? I said, no. He said, you should go. I said, I know. Hey. Also, I ain't got the money, I mean, you know, come on. <laughs> love the guy. I got an aunt and uncle vacation there. They love it. See, now my wife has been to it. Europe many times over because her father worked for American, so they flew the non-rev deal. So, yeah. The things you learn after a few years of marriage, no idea. Chad says, our Bogut Kuzma and Doliak from Utah, Merrill is. Because <laughs> Utes for Life tweeted at us, where was this tweet for Bogut, Kuzma, and Doliak when they played in the finals? Well, no, it's not just the college connection. Three it's of them the, are not. Sam, is, a, is he a is native? He, he's a bountiful guy. Bountiful kid. Yeah. I don't know where he was born, but he played high school ball there. And he chose Utah State? I really root against Sam Merrill. I mean, I hope he throws up some bricks tonight. <laughs> Who says <laughs> that? Probably not going to play. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can go, fact, you go check their stats. Wasn't, was he the last pick of the first, uh, second round? Is Mr. He, Irrelevant? It's he, really an NFL thing. Well, totally an NFL thing. Uh, f- because didn't Milwaukee have the best record? And he hit that shot down in Vegas. It just Epic. Yeah, epic. Yes. I mean, that's the second greatest shot in Utah basketball history. You got Stockton, then Sam Merrill. <laughs> it is. Uh, what? All the Jimmer fans are like, I can't think of a Jimmer. No, I mean, come on. All the Dame U Weir? fans are like, Keith Van Horn, back to back conference tournament, SMU in New Mexico. Take that and take that. Yeah, and they they were good. They were good shots, but. One I mean, a, one of them was, was a, a was a yeah, was a literally an Andre tossed ten inch shot. He just, <laughs> just kind of yeah. finger tipped it. Well, he only had a couple tenths of a second. So yeah. the the second night was just absolutely just stunning. If you go, haven't seen that, he had to balance it, turn, make the shot. But Sam Merrill's shot, and that was a great New Mexico team. So there's a lot of parallels because that was a great San Diego State team. Same arena, no less. Different basket, though. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I guess so. I'm using the same hoops for 25 But I mean, years. different end of the floor. Yeah, okay. I know. Not literally the same rim. I knew what you Joking. meant. I wasn't. He didn't. Yeah. <laughs> so one was on the one side and the other was on the other side. So second biggest shot ever in the state of Utah history. Except didn't somebody hit a uh, 
like a three-quarter court bomb to beat somebody in the whack basketball? Yeah, Kevin Nixon. Kevin Nixon. Kevin Nixon. Yeah, yeah, from a little behind half court. The whack tournament. That was right before you and I got here. I think it was a year before I got here, two years before you got here. And I didn't know about it. I don't know why in a championship week that didn't, somehow it escaped me. And I was going through our archives at Channel 2 looking for something else. And I'd, I'd been, it was the next college basketball season. I was looking at it like, whoa, why didn't I know about that? I don't know how that escaped me. That was an awesome shot. So it was a three-pointer? Yeah. And then what, what were they down? Were they down two? Down one? I guess it doesn't really matter. I, I but... don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to go look it up. I don't like I said, it escaped me when it happened. Beat? Pretty sure it beat Don Haskins in SMU. Yeah, I, I was going to say. I thought no, SMU, UTEP, UTEP, sorry. UTEP. Yeah. Don Haskins was nearing the end of his run, and they beat him. So they beat uh, they beat El Paso? Yeah. All right. I got to put that up there. That's, that's one side. Although, sort of lucky. No, that's not the right one. Sorry. What? Nope, nothing. Got the wrong year. Okay. <laughs> hand went up like, hey, hold on. Hold on a second. Yeah. All right. The most famous shot in franchise history. Stockton. So, yeah. Merle for Utah State. Well, this isn't franchise history. This is Well, individual franchises. Oh, okay. Individual or teams. programs, whatever. Right. So you got Stockton. You got Sam Merle. Merle. Yeah. Do you have Van Horn? Oh, uh, Van Horn against New Mexico. And then that shouldn't have Kevin happened Nixon? a second night off a rebound and the ball getting Oh, and he had to tip it to himself yeah, yeah. by maintaining balance, turn his body yep. to square up his shoulders. Yeah. And I can remember we're back in Charlotte, the draft, and the day before they had these breakouts, the top five or six players, they have their own table, and they're just grilling Keith. So I'm sitting next to Keith. I had asked him every question in the book by then. And so I'm just taken in the atmosphere. And somebody asked him, you know, did did you have a career? Because it was I was understood he was going to go two because mm-hmm. Duncan was going number one. Right. And somebody asked him, did you have a career in college worthy of the number two pick? I said, he had a weekend in Vegas. You said that? Yes. You answered it for yeah. him? <laughs> <laughs> Because I think the next night he went for like 37 against yeah, Billy Tubbs and but there TCU. Was, there was no drama at the end of that one. They but won that still, one convincingly. He kicked but it was butt. a weekend. Yeah, it was. It was <laughs> it was Cinderella's story. Yes. Just making stuff up left and right. Right. They never should have been in the game with SMU. They were way better. And he bailed them out. And New Mexico was a legit good opponent. Oh, they had two NBA players. It, it was a good Kenny game. Kenny Thomas and Charles yeah, Smith. Yeah, that was just a really good game. I didn't. Yeah. And and then he he got the win there, and then he just went off, and there was no drama in the title game. No, no, he just dominated that Saturday night. But yeah, I think the Lobo shot is the huge shot, and then there are other good shots. I mean, there are people who've beaten you know BYU, oh, wait, wait, wait. and it was a wait, conference wait, wait. game. But we got to go Ainge though against uh, was well, it Virginia. I thought you were just building up to that. Well, I just I got a text just barely. I thought saying, you were uh, building up to that. I thought that was there's clear. a certain no. <laughs> end-to-end run by. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a BYU Ainge. history. Right. So yeah, but there's other shots. There's other shots you can throw in there as nominees, and then Angel's shot wins. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean, that was the single greatest play in college basketball history. (laughs) Don't argue. Don't freaking argue. That was the single greatest play in college basketball history. Yes, and that Notre Dame team was littered with NBA guys. Littered. Littered. Yes. It was like a sandbox. Never it was littered. Littered was a good word. It's, it's a, a great word. 
It's a great word, but it's not a good word littered with NBA players because litter, litter is like trash. It's garbage. In your case, it's cats dumping all over a sandbox. I mean, littered with NBA players. Yes. Ainge's play was the single greatest play in college basketball history. Better than that Villanova shot at the buzzer to win the NCAA title. Which was excellent. It was. Yeah, absolutely Because it, it was. followed another excellent shot. But that play, that athletic play going through like 10 guys, because he went through two or three of them twice, if not three times. And Orlando yeah, well, when it's was kind of, standing right there. Where it's the kind of play where you can say, just like it. the coach drew it up, and everyone laughs, because obviously it wasn't drawn up. <laughs> it just kind of happened. He made it happen. Well, I just read, that's funny, I just read something just the other day, and I can't remember when. There's a guy named Steve Trumbo who was on the team, uh-huh. and apparently he was a free spirit, and they were drawing up the play, and they break the huddle, and Trumbo says to Ainge, hey, I wasn't listening, what are we supposed to do? <laughs> Ainge said, give me the ball. That's funny. Yeah, I just read that just the other day, man. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 12.8 of the zone. The Big Show Big show. with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Former Cougar, our good friend Jonathan Tavanari. Let's start with your reaction on the whole to this name, image, and likeness change in college sports. I don't think this is a good idea. To me, this has opened a Pandora's box that it's going to be hard to contain. I see this having a whole lot of negative effects. There's probably going to be a handful of kids that are going to make seven figures, but there's going to be quite a bit of players that are financially illiterate. At BYU, I never prepared for it. I only had that type of instruction once I signed with a really big agent. So having lived through it, I think there's going to be a whole lot of issues that the system is not ready to support. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7 presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust on 97.5 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. SNS Roofing is your locally owned roof repair expert for free quote and all your roofing needs. Call SNS Roofing. Brian says, who wouldn't want to cheer for Sam Merrill and his team? Brian is all in on the Bucks. I guess someone who liked Jay Crowder with the Jazz and wants to see Jay Crowder win an NBA title. That's who. Uh, Now we got a guy who says, I feel like I'm always defaulting to cheering for the West team in the finals. Except it's the Lakers. Who cheers for the Lakers? <laughs> People from LA. Unless you're a Laker fan. I mean, other exactly. than that. I mean, there's no casual. Oh, man, I really hope the Lakers win. They need 17, 18, 19, 20, whatever it is. I'd have a little problem with that. Sam Merrill, Elijah Bryant, the former Aggie, the former Cougar, on the Milwaukee bench. Now, this is, uh, this is random knowledge here, but AJ tweets at us, BYU legend and sports psychologist Craig Manning is also the Bucks sports psychologist. Another BYU tie. You're getting pretty deep into it. Craig Manning, I've heard that name. He works with all of BYU athletes. I probably have interviewed him somewhere along the line. He's been there for a while. Yeah, that, that, BYU that, that or name, Milwaukee. He's done a lot of different pro sports. The name sports, is very familiar to me. He's been around BYU for wow, I don't know, a decade plus at minimum. Because didn't Bronco have somebody that he brought aboard? Correct. He's had and Manning was one of the guys who Bronco brought in who is stuck around.
A lot of people are liking that comment. So Craig's got a lot of ties. A lot of people are on board with Craig. And he's been hired by the Bucks. Yes. See, and there, there's a couple things that we're going to hear. Budenholzer's from Holbrook, Arizona, and that is a dink town <laughs> up in northern Arizona. It is. I mean, it's really small. It is. You don't mean i got to look up Holbrook, Arizona, which I've never heard of, oh, you and haven't? find out how dinky it is. <laughs> it's, it's way small. Yeah. It'd be like Penguich or something. Uh, and I think his father was a basketball coach there. Uh Population 5,053. Yeah. <laughs> That's tiny. Yeah. And it's, it's, up, it's up in the northern part of the state. Uh, and then you'll hear the, the fact, I think it was in 69, they had the two teams with the worst records. It may have yep. been in each conference. They had the coin flip, which I think was done over the phone. And the Suns and Bucks had it. And the winner got the number one pick, obviously, and that was Lou Alcindor, later Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who was an all-time player. And then the Suns drafted second, and they took Neil Walk, who was a Hmm. a Florida Florida State player, a center. Uh, But I went and looked back. I, I remember looking back at that draft because the Suns took a lot of heat. But it, I think they had 15 teams at the time. Yep. And there wasn't anybody else who just jumped out at you that they should have drafted. Lucius Allen, who was a good college player but didn't have a great pro career. Yeah. I mean, he played a while, so that was good. Right, but there wasn't like somebody, oh, they should have drafted this player. See, so you go in that built. That Bill Russell argument, you obviously have the draft up right now in front of you. I do have the 69 draft up, And yes. he's talking about, well, the best players played in the NBA. You couldn't even na- recall most of those guys in that first round of 15 picks. No, so, I mean, JoJo White's name jumps out of me because he played 12 years. Certainly. Um, but Bingo Smith, never heard of him. First round draft pick. He was the sixth pick in the draft. He would have been a quote-unquote lottery pick. Right. No idea anything about Bingo Smith. Don't know if Bingo Smith is 6'2 or 6'10. So I could argue that, okay, the best players played in the league then, but they weren't really good players just because you're the best players. But there were some good players, and they were all on one team or all on a couple of teams. And I once had a female basketball coach explain that to me in college that – uh when the women's game was developing, this was probably 20 years ago, she told me that there wasn't a lot of good players and they were all going to the same schools. So the game needed to develop to get uh, more of quality players. But there was quality, there just wasn't big numbers. So it just comes down to like the 69 draft just wasn't a good draft because I just clicked on the very next year, 1970, and the top four picks... Bob Lanier, Rudy Tomjanovich, Pete Maravich, and Dave Cowens. Okay, well, that, can, that's a pretty good draft. Didn't uh, when we had so, that discussion with Judkins one time? Yeah, he told Jetty, us, Jetty told did us. He said that that was maybe it was that a was a phenomenal draft. draft. There was a draft that was before our time, and he's like, guys, if you're talking phenomenal all-time drafts, and maybe it was a '70 draft because that's that's pretty awesome right there. Yeah. So I'm sure we'll hear about that in these finals, that yeah. that 69 deal between the Bucks and yeah, the Yeah, that's another link with the franchises. They were both 
And that was just a massive difference. Although nothing against Neil Walk, it would have been a massive difference and no matter who really was taken second. Yes. Kareem's career versus everybody else's career in that draft. I mean, he was always going to have Many a, drafts. A, right, yeah. <laughs> and he was always, but it's not like Lanier, Tomjanovich, Maravich, and Cowens. You know, if any of those guys had been number two after him, you would have said, okay, well, they got a Hall of Famer. But it wasn't Kareem, as opposed to, well, was, there just wasn't another Hall of Famer on the board Rudy in 69. He wasn't a Hall of Famer as a player, was he? What? Rudy was a Hall of Famer as a player? Uh, I don't think he was as a player, no. But I think Lanier was, and I'm sure Maravich was, and Cowens was. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that, that's a really strong top of the draft right there. All right, DJ and PK, we got to take a break. When we come back, Dan Feldman joins us. Dan Feldman, NBA writer for NBC Sports Pro Basketball Talk. We'll get his take not only on the NBA Finals, but also the Jazz offseason. The moves that should be made, the moves that could be made. We'll get to that next. Stay with us.